Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy, coming to you live from inside the BioSteel Center, sitting in between two courts uh, with staffers walking around and Shelby over there staring at us, yelling at us. Uh, joining me, as usual, is Eric Kareem. Eric, how are you? I'm just delightful, Blake. How are you? I'm fighting the urge to go grab one of those balls off the expansive number of basketball racks and get some shots up. That would uh, probably be suboptimal for our ability to continue to do this podcast. Yeah, they're probably not thrilled if they poke their heads out and we're doing it here now. So. Yeah. But um, I asked, me getting up some shots. I asked security. It's fine. That's fine. Uh, also joining us, not as usual, but uh, a lovely pleasure today, Sirit Sohi. Sirit, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm wonderful. How is your move to the city going so it's, far? It's going, it's going. I'd love to, you know, have a permanent place sometime soon. I've realized that the real estate market here is a bit of a disaster. I'm shocked to hear what? this. What? Shocked to learn. <laughs> In Toronto, Ontario? I know, I know, it's shocking. Um, how, okay, outside of living situation, you're around the team full-time now, which is, um, this is your first time being around a team regularly on a beat, right? Mm-hmm. How is that going? Uh, I find it's harder to criticize a team when you see them so much. <laughs> that's my uh, that's my biggest takeaway when, you know, you can talk to somebody and get an exact explanation for why they're doing something you think is wrong. It's kind of harder to go in and be like, you should still do that. Yeah, it, that's one of the biggest things I learned in the last couple of years being around every single game, too, is like, I was pretty critical of Dwayne Casey a couple of years ago, and I still am sometimes, but... When you are there every day and you get an explanation for the decisions, you at least start to understand the process going into the process. He's just so charming. Like, you kind of just want to like him. Yeah. But, did you guys know that Dwight Casey wears glasses? He wears contacts and stuff? He, he does see again. what's going on. Yes. <laughs> um, Sir, one more question about your adjustment to Toronto. Uh, what is your favorite place you've eaten so far since Ooh. you've been here? Oh, I went to this place called Han Hanmoto. Interesting. Which was, like, kind of... Kind of a Trinity Bellwoods Park, which is a place. Yeah, it is a place. It's a lovely place. Yeah, a great brewery nearby. Okay, yeah, it seems like a place a lot of people like, so I thought I'd check it out. It was fantastic. It was definitely a bit of a hole in the wall. I was kind of scared that uh, that whatever it was kind of might have closed down, and uh, and there was something new there, and that's when I realized I was in a bigger city, (laughs) and places don't you know scream out what exactly they are here. So I had to do a little bit of digging, but I found it and I'm, I'm really glad that I did. It was f- amazing. The food scene here is definitely superior to Edmonton. No offense to Edmonton. A little okay. bit, a little bit. I think that I, I did six weeks in Edmonton in the winter of 2012, 2013. And I think my favorite thing that I ate there was Manchu wok, <laughs> which I ate every, you know, you could rock a double garlic chicken yeah. all day, every day. So it's- Our Edmonton, uh listeners are not going to be happy with you yeah well hey at least they're not winnipeg right yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um okay so uh the tor- we are at just finished toronto raptors practice on tuesday the raptors are about to head out on a three-game set uh to new york atlanta and indiana perhaps not in that order i might have it backwards with indiana and atlanta um across thanksgiving weekend um it's you know a pretty easy trip as far as three game trips are concerned the fact that they have three games in four days isn't particularly optimal but in terms of quality of competition um, that's that's not a particularly harrowing set uh, the Raptors enter this trip at 11 and 5 they own the number three offense in the NBA I think they're 15th or 16th in defense fourth in net rating 
things are going pretty smoothly and the toughest part of their schedule is now behind them. Um, we asked DeMar DeRozan about this at practice and you know he was at, I think it was phrased, do you guys feel like you're doing great? And his answer was no. No, they feel like they have a long way to go. He said it's interesting to look up from second place and feel like you still have a long way to go. Uh, Eric, where, where are you at with this team in general? Are you pretty encouraged with how they're playing, heading into a, a softer chunk of schedule? I mean, the start has been given the schedule pretty much as good as you could expect. Yeah, like, like DeMar DeRozan said, you can live in the past and say, oh, that Golden State game, we probably should have figured out a way to win it. Uh, we probably should have figured out a way to win the Boston game. Uh, and, you know... Boston is 15 or 16 and 2 now, and, and that's the difference between the Celtics and the Raptors. But on a, on a macro level, not on a did we pull this game out, I think the slight transformation they've made offensively, not slight, I'd say, you know, semi significant transformation they've made offensively, and how they're coming together defensively is, is very encouraging. Um, We'll see what happens with the rotation when everybody's back and healthy. But, uh, yeah, those are questions to ask, answer another day. Uh, on the <laughs> whole, I think you're, you've are you got to be pretty happy with what's going on. Yeah, in terms of the changes, you know, the assist rate has spiked dramatically, which we've talked about a ton. That DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry doing a, the job they normally do as facilitators, even better in DeRozan's case, doing it with far fewer touches in the case of Lowry. Uh, the three-point shooting has come up as well. They're fifth in terms of the portion of their shots that they're taking from three-point range, which even when you're only 23rd at 34.7% is significant. Uh, CJ Miles just walked by. His shooting has been a really big part of the team kind of shooting, turning the three-point shooting around uh, because when he's you know hitting 50 or 60% of his threes for games at a time, that's a, that's a big difference maker. Even he, inter interestingly, uh, has the second-highest usage rate on the team right now as well. Which is, is, is there a shot either of you would be unhappy with C.J. Miles no. taking? No. 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 Like, even the couple of times he's put the ball on the floor to attack a closeout, or I think he's ran, like, one or two pick-and-rolls as well, I'm, I'm fine with those because you have to mix those in to keep teams from closing out so aggressively. And, um, yeah, it, it, I wish... For a minute, I had the confidence in myself that I have in CJ Miles <laughs> taking any three on the floor. And this is, he hasn't even been shooting a ton of corner threes yet. Yeah. Uh, last game, he did fire up more. Uh, but generally, he's a guy that's been the league's, if not the, the league's best corner shooter, a top three, top five corner shooter. And he hasn't even shot a, a lot of those yet. It's been a lot of above the break stuff. Um, Sir, where are you at with the team? Any, any you know, signs that you're, you're kind of focusing on that are concerns? Are you pretty encouraged, all things told? You know, I think I'm pretty encouraged just because, uh, like, like we've been talking about before, like they haven't really been shooting well. A lot of things haven't co come uh, come around yet. And uh, one of the things I really like is that even when things aren't necessarily going well, they seem to, aside from some blips and crunch crunch time that we've uh, we've complained about quite a bit, it seems like they're kind of uh, they're holding to those principles even when the shots aren't falling, which is uh, which is really encouraging because. You know that that just shows that they trust uh, they trust in what they're doing, and uh, you know hopefully by the time the game starts to matter, they'll uh, they'll continue to think of it that way. Because the last thing you'd want now is for them to revert. Yeah, I think I thought there'd be a lot more reversion uh, early in the season, especially, and now there's plenty of time for that to happen. Play so, close games against good teams yeah. is kind of I think where you're yeah, you're where focusing you're in on that. to see how but those changes. It's sustain. not like they were blowing out Houston like that wasn't no. as close as the Boston game but they they that was a competitive fourth quarter game and they continued to 
go with what got them to almost 130 points, I think it was. Yeah, and if there's a play that should stand out to people, obviously, you know, I think it's going to stick with people at the end of the Golden State game, the the missed runner against Draymond Green's outstretched arm and the long two against Andre Iguodala, and then as well as the Boston game, you know, the shot against Jalen Brown that was a pretty decent look. Uh, Those ones are going to stand out, but what should stand out to the contrary is in closing out Washington the other night, DeRozan finding an open Fred Van Bleet for three in a situation where, you know, maybe a lot of times in recent years he takes that elbow too. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, we've seen him, maybe it's just Washington because we saw him make that pass against Corey Joseph to Corey Joseph a few years ago. (laughs) Maybe it's just he wants to... Look, if the Raptors play the Wizards in the playoffs, DeMar DeRozan's, you know, the playoff narrative around him clearly going to flip. Yeah, we're going to lead the playoffs in the system. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it's been encouraging. I, I don't see how you can look at the first 16 games and and not really like what you've seen, even if you can quibble with individual games. Speaking right, even as, oh, Go ahead. Even as far as those games go, like it just seems like, like you were saying with the Washington game, it seems like so long as they're within five or six, they tend to stick to, uh, to what they want to do. It's really just when the games really, really start to bog down, you're like, within two and going for like the game winning type of shots which as they'll tell you is you know what a lot of teams will do they'll give the ball to their best player and ask them to score because that's what they're paid very well to do there's an argument in favor of that too you know the more Minimal you pass the more you're like yeah. turn, turn it over and those are obviously very costly at that juncture of the game so yeah you know, if it's just a matter of a few percentage points which really that's what it is that's more important through the course of the game than it is in one play yeah and casey will talk to i mean i don't know where exactly the balance falls but especially if they have a small lead late in games which i think drives people not sometimes uh, eating clock is important to them as well and if you're eating clock you know, if you're up one with 30 seconds left, you want to eat the whole shot clock. Passing the ball around the perimeter and doing a lot of drive, kick, drive, kick is really risky yeah. in that scenario. They didn't do that against Washington. Or they did do the latter against Washington is what I'm saying. Like Fred Van Vliet's shot that I think put them up eight. Yes. Could be wrong. Uh, and now that's not the same as putting them up four from up one. But, you know, it was a huge possession. But he shot it with, I think, in the middle of the shot clock, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, Serge Ibaka took a three that he missed. That was fairly I'm early shocked in the to hear shot that clock. Serge Ibaka took a shot, <laughs> you know, at any point and felt comfortable taking it. And I think there was one other example of that. But uh, I, And that was talked about after that game, is how uh, DeMar DeRozan at least talked about how he wanted to stay aggressive and how... He wanted not to just bleed the clock because that's a thing to do. And obviously you have to find the balance. Taking, you know, a shot with 18 left up up five is uh, in, in the last uh, two minutes is probably not ideal. But if you get a good look, I mean, this offense has sort of trained you to take it. And I think they're doing that more often than not. Another thing they've kind of focused on this year as they've shifted to relying on their depth even more heavily than they have in years past uh, Kyle Lowry's minutes are down a lot, and I know to one of us this is something that's very, very important. Um, there was just a fist pump you guys <laughs> missed. Uh, um, so through 16 games, Kyle Lowry is averaging 31.9 minutes. Uh, that is his lowest minutes total since he, since 2009-2010 in Houston when he was just 23 years old and was playing a full-time backup role. Uh, he has not played more than 38 and a half minutes in any game this year. Sarah, you've got to be pleased with the. I know you'd probably like him to take some days off, the back-to-back that's coming up this weekend. Um, but in general, you have to be pretty pleased with how they've managed Larry's workload, right? Yeah, baby steps on the days off. I understand that, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. But, no, I am, I am very pleased with that. And I, I think it just comes down to 
the way that this team is thinking now. Like everything is more process oriented this season, and they understand that regardless of what their record is or a couple losses here or there, what matters more is how everything comes together in the playoffs and later in the season as they build momentum towards that. And we just don't want to see Lowry coming in banged up again, especially after the team has made all this effort to, to change their, their offense and some of their defense to an extent to then, you know, have it all go down the drain because somebody gets injured or somebody is going in banged up. Kyle Lowry also hasn't suffered a head injury in like two games in a row now, which is his longest streak of the season. Yeah, he's, uh, He did come up limping a little bit in one of the plays uh, against Washington. Of course he did. <laughs> no, he's not, he's not going to be fine for a whole game at a time. That would absurd. No. <laughs> Look, you, you can't ask him to play 40 minutes without getting hurt. You can't ask him to play 32 minutes without getting getting banged up. But I, I think, like, to add to that, when he was asked for a bigger defensive assignment on Sunday, because OG Ananobi wasn't having the best of success on Bradley Beal, they put Lowry on him mainly. There was a lot of switching going on, but he was the guy chasing him around those screens, and, like, he was really effective. He was making Beal put it on the floor a bit more. Like, he was giving him less room and and playing into the Raptors' help and the Raptors' system. And, you know, you can't really do that if you're playing 39 or 40 minutes a night. That's a lot harder to ask your, you know, one of your primary creators to do that for halves at a time. I'm to not... your point there, Go sorry. Uh, Beal actually, after, after the game admitted that, uh, you know, the, the uh, one of the Washington reporters asked him what the biggest difference in the second half was, and he said that it was Kyle just chasing him around and basically face-guarding him, being able to keep up with him that really shut him down. It's interesting how different guys deal with different defenders. Like, we know that, you know, speed and sticking with DeMar DeRozan through screens has historically not bothered him as much as size and length, and Bradley Beal appears to be a guy where the opposite is true, um, where, you know, staying up in his grill. We've seen Norman Powell... Um, defend different kind of quick twos and do a good job on C.J. McCollum, who's a similar offensive player to Bradley Beal, and it doesn't work as well on Beal. Um, it's interesting to see how kind of different guys, despite being similar player types, respond differently to different defenders. Um, in terms of Kyle Lowry, I'm not a high-performance athlete. Uh, I think it would be easier <laughs> to try hard over 32 minutes than it is to try super hard over 40. On the for Pascal Siakam. End. They should just play him 48 minutes. Not again. fast, Pascal Siakam. <laughs> um, there was a, a really funny moment at exchange at practice Tuesday. DeMar DeRozan was asked where um, Pascal Siakam ranks in terms of speed with guys like John Wall and Russell Westbrook. And DeMar was not having that Pascal Siakam is fast. He said, you know, he, he runs hard and there's a difference. Look at him trying. Yeah, look at, look at him <laughs> trying. Um, we should probably talk about the performance of Pascal Siakam of late. He's been very effective in you know spot starts and in a bench role. He's really helped push the transition game, which the team has put a big emphasis on on the offensive end of the floor. Um, you know he's had iffy outings on defense, like against Houston, and he's had some really good ones. Uh, you know he's he's come so far from where he was at this time last year when he was overmatched and overexposed as a starter, as a rookie with no experience, um, and he entered the year not in the rotation. And now it looks like you know he's not a guy that they could take out of the rotation. And obviously at some point they have to tighten this. Come playoff time, they'll have to shrink things up. But Eric, has Pascal, he, he's locked down a role. You know, he's not a guy that's at risk of falling out of the rotation. I don't see how you keep him off the floor at this point. I mean, he's he's been better than even OG, I would I would say. Uh, 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 no, different. I mean, it's, yeah, they're different, but it's close. And uh, if everybody's healthy, that becomes an issue. But... 
everybody's not healthy for the moment, so let's worry about it later. I mean, what he's doing, you never know how a player is going to show up after a summer, and Siakam's first year didn't exactly fill me with promise. Like, it, it looked, he looked very raw, and the way he has improved on all fronts, uh, even offensively, when he's given the ball, his ball skill is yeah, like that's not something improved. I ever expect for him, from him. And he's, you know, he basically took Gortat into the post and scored on him the other day. So if if you can get that plus the energy from Pascal Siakam, you can't sit him. It's interesting. I, I remember when the team drafted him. You know, I looked at the player he was at New Mexico State, and I, you know, dove into the video and stuff and talked to people around the team, and I was like, okay. He's a power forward who's probably going to be best cast as a small center in the new NBA and, and just kind of a fast guy who can offer some rim protection. And a couple people with the team were like, no, we see him like kind of as a 4-3. Like, we think he can guard perimeter guys. And I, you know, I thought at the time, like, okay, I could see it defensively, but offensively, how is that going to work? And he's, you know, he's seen spot minutes at small yeah. forward this year. I still don't think they're going to play him there a ton at least, you know, unless it's those situations like when James Johnson and Patrick Patterson shared the floor and, you know, your different positions on different yeah. ends. Um, but he's improved so dramatically in terms of ball skill and face-up game uh, and even the little bit of corner shooting he can provide. He's, you know, I, I was always fairly high on him being a high-end role player in time because, you know, even if the league catches up to you, you can't really catch up to motor and speed and energy. Sorry, not speed. No. Sorry, Damar. Um, <laughs> clearly not, clearly listening um, so, Sirit, where are you at with the rotation? You know, DeLon Wright, to give people an update, uh, will see a specialist on Tuesday or Wednesday in New York. Um, it sounds as if nobody is really that concerned. DeLon's not wearing a sling. Uh, DeLon did, like, an Xbox Live Q&A for fans the other day. Oh, he's fine. And, no, 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 but he said it's, um, he was asked, and this was, I think it was Double Helix on Real GM, if I'm getting the guy's name right, asked him whether it's weeks or months, and DeLon said weeks which, you know, he's not a doctor, but he would have an idea of where he's at having gone through it before. Uh, Norm Powell's been upgraded from doubtful to questionable for Wednesday. So, Sirit, assume that DeLon Wright is out of the rotation for the next little bit um, and Norm comes back in. Where does Norm fit in? Because I know he's a guy that you thought maybe shouldn't be in the starting lineup anymore. Uh, Has that changed with the performance of OG, the injury of DeLon Wright? How strongly do you feel about where Norm fits back in? Well, I think think just because of defensive balance you still do have to start him I don't really I mean unless you were to start OG ahead of him but I think I'm happy with where OG's minutes are right now I think they're at a good level for for where he's developing and he plays really well well with the bench so you know to me it's like if you're gonna insert maybe another better defender like say you know Pascal Siakam into the starting lineup then maybe you pull Norm back and uh and get him on the bench but right now, I think uh, as as lineup stands, I'm kind of I'm, I'm I'm going back on my desire to, to start Miles a little bit, just because I think it it does provide good balance for both lineups to uh, to have him out there. But I think the Raptors' ideal starting lineup probably doesn't have Norm in it, and it probably doesn't have a couple of other guys in it either. But again, <laughs> yeah. So that's that's a There's change that. that's not coming unless right. there's a. a particular playoff opponent Uh, I think four of the starters are probably locked in over 82 games Um, you know that's obviously a conversation we can have another time Mm -hmm. but for short term we could probably talk about the lineup only in terms of the one position Um, 
statistically, the starting lineup with Norm and starting lineup with OG have been fairly similar. They're both tiny samples by the you know the standard of a five-man lineup. We haven't seen a lot of either one really. Um, Eric, where where are you at on that front? Do you keep starting OG so Norm can kind of help fill Delon's role on the bench and, and kind of be that attacker that you and I had both felt he should be initially? Um, is Miles still in the conversation for you? Um, yeah, I think you keep it open. Um, fluid. Uh, fluid, mm-hmm. if you will, to use the parlance of every NBA coach and executive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I might stay with OG at this point uh, just because of the DeLon injury and the, having another ball handler for those few minutes that you're buying for Kyle Lowry um, is key. And you don't want to have to put more on DeMar and you don't want to have bumped Kyle Lowry up to 36 or 37 minutes from 32. So I, I think I sort of like the fit a bit more with uh, OG in the starting lineup. Uh, especially if he's going to keep up this three-point... Uh, which he's not. Which he's not, yes. He's, going, he's going to shoot 34% from three-point range yeah, If he, if like he keeps it high enough for teams to have to worry about it and then he can attack some of those closeouts a yeah. little bit, um, you know, it's still a little herky-jerky, but I yeah. like him attacking out of the corner. Yeah. It's always fun. I think So I think I might stick with OG, but I wouldn't... Like, I'm not passionate about it. <laughs> you know, if he, if Dwayne Casey goes back to Norm, I understand it. And if he doesn't want to unseat a player because of an injury, that's valid. Yeah. Uh, it's it's not like the starting lineup has worked amazingly well together. So it, Right. I think they're a slight just, positive now yeah. if you just isolate the four. Yeah. Um, Lowry, DeRozan, Ibaka, and Valanciunas, yeah. which is at least encouraging in itself. Yeah. So it's just a matter of finding the balance and, and the rotations you like. And... Uh, no matter where Casey starts from, I, I think he'll find the proper end point. Most I times. Guess. Yeah. Most times. Um, it, it's funny, I've mentioned this before, but it's weird to debate the starting lineup now when there are multiple options that appear to be good options and yeah. you can make a case for it, whereas the last couple of years, the conversation was different where, depending on how you felt about Patrick Patterson, there either wasn't an answer or an answer that you knew they weren't going to do um, and it was just like, well, you can't do this. And now it's kind of a conversation where, well, they could do this. They could do that. They could do, you know, a, a lot of different things with that spot. And uh, overall, I think that's why you're feeling good about the start, right? Yeah, because, they've got 11 yeah, or 12 guys yeah. playing pretty well. Yeah, like it becomes an issue at some point, but it's not one right now. I, I mean, we keep saying that, but does it? Oh, like, what point it, it does become, like, yeah, historically... But... We know that as rotations tighten and other teams going go from playing 10 guys to 8 guys and stars from 35 minutes to 40 minutes, that advantage that your bench has becomes less magnified. And, you know, the Raptors have... I think the Raptors realized that because the last two years they've tightened the rotation a little bit heading into the playoffs to where they were playing 9 guys, um, you know, and Lowry or DeRozan were always on the floor down the stretch. I think they'd like to get back there at some point. I think they probably don't want to play without Lowry or DeRozan in the playoffs, and they'll need to, you know, you'd want some role certainty heading into the playoffs. But we've also seen from Casey, he's not afraid to disrupt things. Norman Powell has gone, you know, his role's been all over the place the last two years in the playoffs. So um, there's a lot of time between now and then, I think. There really is. Yeah, there are like 67 games. There's a lot of stories to write. Yes. I kind of like the idea of not, not even cutting things until the playoffs start, just so that everybody in the rotation is kind of, you know, used to used to uh, getting some burn because like the beauty of 
all the Raptors rotation players is that they can all kind of do different things and guard different matchups. So, I mean, I think right now if you were to cut down the big man rotation, like it'd probably be Yak getting the short shrift there. And, like, you know, I think there are times when a guy like Bebe, if he's not performing, which we know that, you know, happens. Watch it. That's never watch it. it. It would be good to know that, you know, the other guy that you would be putting in his spot minutes has actually you know, been able to play and yeah. having that consistency. Could yeah, be you, important. you want guys being confident heading into the playoffs because the right. reality is you're going to have, like, there's going to be a plan B. It's not just going to go plan A, great. For sure. If Lucas Nogueira is your plan A, there's a plan yeah. B. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm fine for them keeping it as is now, but I think you don't want a playoff game to be the first time where somebody's cracking 30 minutes a night who hasn't done it all year. You right. Know, like and, a, you know, CJ Miles is a guy you're probably okay with him playing 20 minutes now knowing he's going to play 25 in the playoffs. Uh, but other guys, you maybe don't want that. And then I think the other thing is, um, and maybe this is just me from a nerd perspective, is I want yes. data on how DeRozan and different bench lineups look, how Lowry and different bench lineups look. Uh, because, you know, I'm still of the mind as good as the bench has been. You're not playing without one of those guys on the yeah. floor in the postseason because both of their number minutes will go back up towards 40. I think we'll see the same sort of bottom four minutes in the third, first and third, top four in the yeah. second and fourth with only mm-hmm. one of them out there. And I would like to, I would like for them to have a sense yeah. of which pieces and, fit. And like that lineup won them game five against in the Kyle and the bench lineup, which they used plenty. Like, the, the reason they were able to do that is because they were so familiar with it. And the reason they were able to have success is because they were so familiar with it. And with 12 men and all these, like, variations of similar lineups but not the same lineup, like, it seems like a small thing, but... Hurdle and Nogueira are not similar. Yeah, when one guy doesn't know where to be right. or one guy doesn't know where he... where another guy thinks he's supposed to be, that becomes an issue and as we know in the playoffs things tend to get magnified yeah and the other thing too is that remember when Terrence Ross was standing in the wrong spot yes yes (laughs) remember when that timeout was called and they drew the playoff on the wrong side of the floor it's fine um yeah that was that was painful (laughs) Uh, yeah I, I guess the nice thing too is if you keep everyone playing a fair amount to where you get comfortable with their level of play you can kind of also let the opponent dictate things where you know there might be an opponent where Pascal is clearly a better option than OG for that matchup or vice versa or Pirtle and Noguera you know one of those guys is always going to be the safer option Uh, they're they're interesting I have the the team's kind of advanced stats up in front of us and oddly and Eric you and I talked about this last week as kind of a curiosity Lucas Noguera has the worst rebound percentage of the three centers by far and yet the team has the best defensive rebounding rate with him on the floor by far, um, some of which is Siakam playing the minutes with him. Some of it, I think, is also everyone being like, okay, Lucas isn't very good <laughs> on the on the defensive glass. We gotta, He's going to hunt blocks, and we're going to pick him up. Um, but the Pirtle Laguerre discussion, and it's one we've all talked about a lot as the year's gone on, um, it's always interesting to talk to people and see where they're at on it because um, it's all about kind of what you want out of that position. Do you want upside or floor? Um, Jakob Pirtle has a ridiculous 18.1% offensive rebound rate. For the second year in a row, his offensive rebound rate is almost as high as his defensive rebound rate, uh, which is crazy. And he's got, But he's got the worst defensive rebounding rate of the centers. Um, Bebe has a higher block and steal percentage and is a better passer, but Jakob Pertl, you know, finishes around the rim and will take open we'll layups. <laughs> um, so, I mean, Siri, you mentioned that 
you think it would be Pirtle who was on the outs if they tighten the center rotation. Is that your preference, or is that just what you think Casey would do were he to tighten it now? I think that's what would end up happening, just based on the minutes distribution right now. And uh, Yak usually tends to come into the game later than uh, than Bebe does. So just based on that, it seems like that's that's the direction they would take it. You know, I think uh, I think that's also good for the regular season. I just think it's when you have a guy like Bebe as your backup, and obviously I'm all for, you know, giving him run. You should definitely... Because you're not a monster. <laughs> I feel like I'm uh, I'm get, getting to a touchy place here a little bit, but no. Eric turned on me last week. Turned on Bebe and I last week and said Bertle should. I didn't turn on the whole concept of Bebe though. Yeah. Well, you just wait. You wait until I'm a Miami Heat fan next year and he's backing up Hassan Whiteside and putting up the exact same numbers. I just think that if he's if he's the guy you're going to, you're gonna want to make sure the guy behind him is a little bit warm. Is all. Yes. 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 That I that I agree with for sure. Um, okay, we can't be all positive. We're 28 minutes in, and it's been largely positivity. But things are yeah, great. Things, yeah, things, we'll save the Things are great, but there is... Do talk about Trump's America? I don't want to talk about that, no. <laughs> I mean, we can talk about more food stuff. I don't... I just... I worry that we'll release this Wednesday morning. It'll be all rainbows and sunshine, and then Chris Stapps Persigas will drop 40, and... Well, then we'll record another one, and it'll be super sad. Yeah, yeah, we do have a lot of weeks left in the yeah, season. Yeah, it's like last week, we did the we did it right after the Boston game, and everything was Everything was depressing. bad, yeah. Then they won four games Everything is still horribly depressing, yeah. it's just they won four games <laughs> in a row now. Um, okay, well, what, so what, do you other... wanna, what do you want us to worry about? Well, okay, <laughs> one thing, I, I was, okay, I, I wasn't sure about whether I should ask you about Riverdale or not this week. Um, I don't know if we're going to have time to get Caitlin on. Uh, before we pu- publish this, uh, Sir, do you watch Riverdale? I haven't caught up yet, okay. but I can. Uh, I can cover my Earplugs? ears. Yeah. I just, Eric, I do, just really quickly. We'll bring. We'll try to bring Caitlin on. The last episode, you have to be back in on Riverdale, right? Like it, at this point, it's the Bay Bay of shows. We're, we won't talk details. We won't talk details. I just <laughs> want to know the absurdity of it and the highs and lows. Like you're back in, right? I mean, I was never out. I clearly addicted to the show (laughs) despite its flaws but all of a sudden the characters have that skill set and they think that's a good idea and also what's your boy fp do like that was some terrible advice no fp's fp is terrific (laughs) fp is the best character on television It, it was it was absurd. Okay, and, okay uh, we, we will stop this. Sarah is literally standing up with her ears. Wait, I don't plugged. mind. I don't mind. Uh, no, it's fine. It was just, you know, it's it's the baby of shows for yeah. sure. It's, there's just so much good in it, and then some things where it's like, how did this get a second season? Yeah, I cannot believe the plot. That's probably the not fair to Babe. Maybe it's a it's... Bruno of shows. No, that's that's not fair to fair to her now. Yeah. <laughs> By the way. Um, Stackhouse with some unkind words for Bruno Caboclo Monday night after the 905 game. That was well, a... Tate, you were there. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't great. It was Bruno's worst game of the season for yeah. sure. Uh, he's been mostly good there, uh, but he got, you know, he's playing center a lot, which is tough. But he's also, like, not focusing on the defensive glass, which Stackhouse isn't going to appreciate and probably warrants being called out and the coach saying, you got your ass kicked. Um, in the words of Jerry Stackhouse, he's 43, and no one in that league could get six offensive rebounds on him, so why are they getting six on Bruno? Another person with remarkably admirable confidence that I cannot hope to... Stackhouse? Yes, oh, to yeah. uh, 
I'm still shocked that he hasn't himself. checked in as player coach at any point. <laughs> it's just, you know, they, they could just pick him up out of the play. Especially they've been so shorthanded lately yeah. with guys going to the FIBA qualifiers and Eddie Tavares and Kyle Wiltshire, you know, ruining your story on one of them and my plan story on the other. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I like that every week we end up talking about 905, and then you're like, uh, nobody really cares yeah, about no, this. Yeah, nobody cares. <laughs> but, uh, I care. Yeah. Well, I care. I'm sure they care. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. It's okay. It's all just setting it up for one day Stack will come on to talk about Riverdale. It's, uh, <laughs> that's going to be where all this leads in the end. Are what we getting the boot? I don't know. Uh, should be fine. All right. Um, okay, well, New York, Indiana, and Atlanta, before we talk next, do they have a home game early next week? No, they have a long, they have three days off in between. That's right. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. That's right. So we will talk to you after some off days next time. Okay, so Sunday, three games in four days against middling competition. Is this a stretch where, you know, the Thanksgiving holiday, the road schedule, the injuries, is this one where, you know, you could understand a loss on it? Or is this a case where, you know, everything's rolling well, you can't let your guard down against bad teams. You want them to go 3-0 and on this trip. I mean, I want them to go three yeah. and zero. I mean, I I, I, I do, am not terribly passionate about what their record is. Would you see? I, would you be dispirited by them dropping a game or two? Well, I mean, one and two, I think you're not happy with, but I could see them losing one of these games, no problem. I, I'm not sure which one. Like Atlanta mm-hmm. on paper is the easiest one, but it's the one on a back to back, so who knows? Um, these are three teams they should beat, but Indiana's been frisky this year. The Knicks have, Frisky. They have been. They've, they're the friskiest team in the league. Like, uh, I very much miss Corey Joseph. Um, his fate is just always... I'm glad he found a barber in Indiana so quickly. His fate is always just the tightest. Is his three-point percentage still up there, or has he started I mean, it's that? not where it was. He's not when, shooting 60%? When, yeah, it's not, it's not high enough that the unreasonableist is tweeting out, oh, Corey Joseph's three-point percentage is higher than C.J. Miles. <laughs> the unreasonableist who is still going to come on this podcast at some point, but not yeah. to, he wanted to come on today. Yeah, too yeah. many too many cucks. Yeah, also, um, just, he's so unreasonable. Yeah. Can we, uh, his three-point percentage is at 46.8, so still very high, but it's cooled off significantly. Yeah, so I would understand a loss, uh, and this team is, as everybody says, is young. Like, they're... There's going to be a night where not everybody plays well. Like, the last four games, it, it, you know, if not everybody in the rotation has played well, it's been, like, everybody minus one has has played well. It's been, you know, a wonderful stretch of basketball, but that just doesn't happen if you're not a super team over, you know, the majority of 82 games. And even those teams just yeah. wait until, you know, they try. need to play well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Three games and four nights, Thanksgiving, and then the injuries too you can see some things catching up to them yeah. schedule loss wouldn't really make a big difference where are we at on the conspiracy theory that the Warriors lost to the Celtics just to piss LeBron off uh, <laughs> I didn't know of that theory yeah so just to give Kyrie the W over the Warriors <laughs> and, and further bother LeBron what do you it's a double Arthur meme yeah Why? by the way um, I know this isn't a football podcast and no one watches the Jacksonville Jaguars Bortles Jalen Ramsey <laughs> Uh, wore Arthur Mean cleats this oh, yeah. week, uh, which were terrific. Jalen Ramsey is like, he, he's, like he's an NBA player. Guy, yeah, and he's an NBA player in the NFL in terms of like custom cleats every single week. Like mm-hmm. like what DeMar does with the Kobe's every single game, having a, a new pair and PEs all the time. Jalen Ramsey has cool cleats like every week. So the Arthur Mean was, that's it has to be the best cleat of all time. Right. An Arthur Mean cleat. Can't immediately come up with an alternative, but yeah. that speaks more about me than 
the cleat, maybe. Yeah. Or maybe not. I don't know. Do the Raptors need to improve their meme game? What? The Raptors, like, do they need to be a little funnier, a little, a little better in terms of using social media to poke at rivalries? Or it really, all they do is just the bench unit just comments on each other's Instagram posts all the time and calls each other nicknames. No, it's, it's just like after every game, CJ Miles is commenting on everyone's posts and posting photos of Fred. They, they, they all love each other very much, but there's not a lot of trash talk or you know rivalry building or drama building. Yeah, well. Oh, I think, you know, it's just not really the style of this team. And on the other hand, there's also the fact that Game Ops here just reaps everything for what it's worth. So we would get sick of it pretty, pretty fast. Yeah, if so. Lowry wanted to do something, like he's the guy who would do it. But yeah. he doesn't mm-hmm. want to. DeRozan like, did post one the other day. Yeah, I mean, but it was, DeRozan versus the media is yeah. uh, perpetually a thing. Yeah. Plus, who are you going to, like, talk shit to, really, if you're the Ra- if you're the Raptors? It's kind of like, okay, like, you're either punching down clearly or you're, like, trying to like be the wizards and then inevitably lose because then yeah. a team brings its a game against you and you're like a little bit rattled yeah this is the risk is that you're the wizards and you claim the cavaliers tank to avoid you in the playoffs <laughs> and you've done nothing but hey you know. they swept the raptors that one year sure years ago uh, the raptors are like 13 and 2 against it in the regular season since yeah it's fine yeah it's uh probably still beating the playoffs so. still some flashbacks from that playoff series that was a fun one it was not. It was not. Um, the day before Game 4 was, like, one of the weirdest practices I've ever covered. Like, just the vibe and... Like, and, they had quit. Um, yes. Something approaching that, yeah. yes. Um, I can say that now, I guess. Yeah. It was weird. It was weird. So, before Game 4 was the first time I ever did a TV appearance. Yeah. And they were just, like, like basically begging me to say that the Raptors still have a chance. And it's just... No, sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. They, they don't have a chance. Uh, yeah, I guess they don't. Like, Kyle Lowry shot down the idea of Washington being a rival when asked about it the other day um, and said that they don't have a rival. I think if there were one team you had to pick, it's maybe Boston, just because the regular season games have been so heated. They kind of exist in the same sphere of NBA hierarchy. But, but no, even Boston's then, thinking about Cleveland. Exactly. Right now, and right? the Raptors are thinking about Cleveland, yeah. too, if we're, if we're being honest. So... I mean, the Wizards are the closest thing to a rival, despite what Lowry says, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I get, I personally get more geeked up for the Celtics games and really enjoy them. Um, <laughs> the usual interruptions. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, That's just because you hate Boston so much as a city, though. I like Boston as a city. I don't like Boston as a people. <laughs> um, as a physical space, yeah, I no, enjoy it's, it. Mm-hmm. It's nice. Um, also, it's like... It's really Your hard. Ben Affleck's gonna be super mad about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you white, you Ben Affleck. <laughs> um, it's also become increasingly difficult to not root for Boston when you watch them because Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are amazing. Yeah, it's annoying. It must be confusing for many Raptors fans. Yeah, or they'll just, it, or it's not confusing and they just ignore the dissonance yeah. and it's like, no, the Celtics are bad. Bunch of tryhards <laughs> coming from the team, the fan base of the team that's led the league in double digit comebacks two years in a row and has the most Boston Celtics point guard of all time on the <laughs> roster. Not the most Boston. Celtics. He's up there, though. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like Pat or... Yeah. Pa- pa- Patrick Beverly is the ultimate Celtics point guard. You're right. Because um, he. Patrick Beverly, when he couldn't shoot, is the most <laughs> ultimate, <laughs> ultimate Celtics point guard. And yeah. how badly he wants to injure Alonzo Ball. Yeah. Oh boy, LeVar on CNN. If we want to talk, if we want to talk we depressing don't. stuff. We, we don't, don't need to talk depressing <laughs> stuff. We're 40 minutes in. I think we can probably wrap it up here. Um, let's do let's do some parting shots. Eric, do you have 
anything Raptors or otherwise to, to share or to... Oh, happy Thanksgiving to our American friends. Yeah, uh, I wonder what the numbers are like. Probably not It's probably not super high on a yeah. Raptors podcast. Um, failed to adopt a dog again this week. Oh, that was man. Bad. Do you want one of mine? One of the two that I have? Because no. two's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> two is a lot of eight-week-old puppies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't really have anything that we haven't discussed here because we've been talking for a while. This uh, is true. Keep on enjoying fun things being fun. Um, um, what is the one food spot uh, sit in or take out that you would recommend Sierra try now that she's a, a Toronto local? Um, Do you have a favorite joint? Well, I think you got to go to one of the big Thai restaurants. Okay. By big, I mean delicious. Yeah. Um, whether it's Khao San Road or uh, what's the one on Parliament? Sorry. This is great. Suko Thai. Oh, um, is Suko Thai the one that has raptor, that used to have raptor puns on the menu? I don't know. Okay. I think um, it is. Like, there's so much good Thai food, and, and there's, there's so much good everything. Every there's, this is a wonderful thing about this yeah. city is... What's the best shawarma place I should be going to? Um, the wrong person to ask. Yeah, I mean, I've always just gone to the shawarma place that is the closest to me physically <laughs> where I live. Like, when I was in Liberty, I lived on top of one that was awesome. I think it was Liberty Shawarma, which is, like, a lower-end chain, but... It's shawarma. You can't. Yeah. yeah can't, wrong. Yeah. Um, there are lots of places worth trying. I tried. I went to Olympic seventy six pizza, or Olympic sixty seven pizza, whichever one it is, um, just south of Lauren Young on the weekend, and I'd never been there before. And not only does it have a very like old school mafia vibe, there's like so it's this, it's a big room, and there's like red and white checkered tablecloths, and there is like a little enclave off to the side of the dining room where there's just one table that looks out on the street and it's totally the table for like made guys. Um, <laughs> but the pizza is phenomenal and yeah, it's very good. I had never tried that. I had been meaning to try it for a really long where is time. That? Um, just south of Bloor and Young. It's on Gloucester. Okay. Um, it's very good. Hmm. So that would be my recommendation uh, if you're looking for anywhere. Do you have any parting shots? Anything you want to share or get off the chest? I think we pretty much covered it today. All right. No hot takes to, to fire off, right? Eh? Kyle Lowry needs to play fewer minutes. <laughs> Even less. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think that pretty much does it. Uh, I don't know if we're going to get Caitlin on for Riverdale Reasonless. So in case this is goodbye, uh, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Eric, Sierra, thanks so much. Thank you. It's only to be a reasonable man.